Hello, and welcome to Episode 3, Season 1 of Storytime for Weirdos. This episode is called The Becoming, Day 1. I awoke from a fever dream, weak and disoriented. The night before, I'd felt achy and chilled. My dreams had been disturbing. I'd had a memory of my limbs being racked with pain, and I had a sense that my body was suddenly alien. Everything in my bedroom felt off. My apartment was quiet. I lay for a minute trying to put my finger on what was wrong. I reached for my phone on the nightstand. It was dead. Weird. It must not have been plugged in right. I fiddled with the cord. My stomach growled. Whatever illness I had must have passed. I jumped out of bed, and that's when things got... strange. The room seemed too big. The shorts I slept in fell to the ground, and my t-shirt came to my ankles. I felt woozy for an instant as I contemplated what had changed. The top of the desk chair nearby came up to my nose. Taking panicky breaths, I kicked my feet loose from my shorts and walked quickly to the bathroom. From my new vantage point, I could not see myself in the mirror. The top of the sink was about even with my eyes. Stepping onto the bathtub, I scrambled onto the vanity. I gasped. It was the size of a child. The t-shirt was completely oversized, with a hole for my head reaching almost shoulder to shoulder. I leaned over the sink with my knees in the bowl. My face was the same, but different. My mouth and nose appeared to have not changed size, but the rest of my features seemed too big. The top of my head, where my hair had been thinning for years, was covered with a chestnut-covered stubble. My ears were pointed and long and stuck out in an angle. I spent a few minutes staring at my reflection. A meow interrupted me. My cat, Monica, was at the bathroom door. She rubbed her face on the doorframe, sniffed, and walked in a circle. You smell different. Feed me now. She hadn't spoken, but I knew intuitively that that's what she had said. I shook my head at my own imagination. I climbed down from the sink and contemplated the cabinet above the refrigerator where I kept the cat food. At five feet, ten inches tall, I used to be able to reach the food without a problem. Now, at what I estimated to be three feet and change, it was going to be a trial. I dragged over a chair, and climbing onto the counter, I managed to pull myself onto the refrigerator, open the cabinet, and get the Tupperware container of cat food. I had to use both hands to grasp it. The breakfast cereal was in the same cabinet. I pulled that out, too. Laboriously, I lowered myself to the counter, moved the containers to the counter, and stepped onto the chair. Setting the food containers on the floor, I remembered that the scoop for the cat food was on another shelf in a separate cabinet. I placed a couple of unmeasured handfuls of cat food in Monica's bowl. About time, she said, or at least that's what I made of the dip of her tail and stance of her paws. The digital clock on the stove was blank. Power must be out explains my phone. I wondered how long it had been out. The refrigerator was still cool as I got out the milk and orange juice. I ate and listened to the silence. 
no mechanical hum, and no air conditioner or white noise. It was nice, but also creepy. I finished eating and left the food containers on the counter. I didn't want to spend all morning climbing up and down my kitchen. I took off my t-shirt and contemplated my body in the full-length mirror in my bedroom. Most of it had been reduced proportionally in size. My feet, legs, arms, torso, and head were all smaller. A few of my facial features and other features had remained normal size and appeared cartoonishly large relative to my body. I do not have much clothing that would fit me now. The shorts that I slept in had a drawstring, which allowed me to cinch them to my new waist size. A previously too small t-shirt was found and cut so that it did not extend too far down. I had no shoes that would fit. Instead, I put on a few pairs of socks and tied laces around my ankles to secure them. While I dressed myself and cleaned up, something kept nagging me about the silence. I found my watch on the dresser. I had to climb on the bed to get a view of the top of the dresser. Its digital face was blank too, which didn't make any sense. That's when it struck me. I hadn't heard any vehicle noise. No engine roar, no tire rumbles, even the squeal of the subway as it rounded the bend in the elevated tracks a block away had been absent. The creepy feeling intensified, this time cut with panic. Was I still dreaming? Was I on drugs? I looked at my body. What had happened? This was crazy. Am I going insane? A noise, like a jet engine, intruded on my thoughts. It was far away, but it sounded like it was approaching. Monica jumped down from the windowsill, her usual post-meal perch, and ran to the door. She looked back at me. We need to leave now, her arched back, pinned ears, and puffed tail said. I paused. Is my cat talking to me? Maybe I was insane. A shadow fell, like a cloud passing in front of the sun. Terror crashed over my body like a wave, drowning the creepiness, worry, and apprehension. I ran. I barely remember opening the door and dashing through the lobby. I was vaguely aware of others in my building running with me. My building occupied a full block with two entrances, the east one on Walton Avenue and the west one on Girard Avenue. I took the Girard Avenue door, darting out the gate from the courtyard between the legs of my neighbors. There was a collective scream from the other side of the building, and the jet engine sounded. As I ran north of Girard, I caught the smell of sulfur and burning grease. I joined a rush of humanity, but was only aware of those around me. Most seemed to be full-size normal people, but every once in a while I was aware of a small or otherwise unusual person. There were more jet engine noises, followed by sulfur smells and smoke. People screamed and shouted. Many buildings were on fire, and large, terrifying shapes crisscrossed the sky. I ran and kept running. Girard Avenue merged into Jerome, where the elevated train ran. Once there, I paused. People were running, and there was still awful noises and smoke, but here I didn't feel so exposed. Monica brushed my legs. Let's keep moving, she said. I ducked between cars parked on the side of the street and continued north at a jog. Periodically, a jolt of terror would hit me and I'd sprint up the street. The larger people outpaced me and I was soon nearly alone. I eventually made it to Fordham Road. There, just a few storefronts out from under the cover of the elevated train, was a children's clothing store. 
My socks were worn and I was uncomfortable in the oversized clothes. No shadows in the sky or jet engine noises were nearby. Several buildings were on fire and smoke hung heavy in the air. I darted to the store, the glass in the storefront broken, and I climbed through the display window. The interior was cool and dark. It took me some time to find things that would fit, and there were a few times I cowered between the shelves, inexplicably overcome with fear. I found leather hiking boots, two pairs of jeans, a four-pack of white t-shirts, and a raincoat in addition to underwear and socks. Just as I finished changing and packing the extras into a child's backpack, Monica let out a cry. Look out! I crouched behind a shelf as two small human shapes were silhouetted in the storefront. They entered the store and I noticed that they wore crude loincloths made of bath towels. They were looking for clothes too. Their pointed ears were less angled than mine, and I was about to say something when one of them turned his head. He croaked and gestured to a hockey mask. His mouth was full of sharp needle-like teeth, and his eyes appeared to glow with an eerie light. I felt a tingle of fear. These two were not like me. I was trapped, and they were sure to find me eventually. A vague memory from the fever dream kept in my mind. I whispered the words from my, from my dream. The opening bars out of joy rang out from the back corner of the store opposite to me. The two figures jumped and ran to the source of the music. I darted through the store at a sprint, jumping on the platform in the display window and out onto the street. I ran back to Jerome Avenue and up a few blocks before I stopped in a doorway to catch my breath. Remembering my days as a trail runner and an old aqueduct right-of-way that led out of the city, I headed north toward Van Cortlandt Park. Stopping briefly to loot granola bars, apples, beef jerky, a bottle of water, and a bag of cat food from an abandoned bodega, I arrived at the park as dusk fell. Monica and I ate in the shelter of the Mashalu Parkway overpass in a wooded portion of the park. I lay down my head on the backpack, wrapped in the raincoat. I was surprised at how quickly I fell asleep, given the terrifying day. I slept unseen and unmolested. I hope you've enjoyed uh, episode three, season one of Storytime for Weirdos, a monthly podcast that gets posted on the first Saturday of every month. Storytime, turn all of the lights off over every boy and every girl. Storytime. One more for chance for feeling some joy, laughter, or fear. Story time. You might want to listen, so put this into your ear. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome, becomes a gnome.